Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Well, if you're new with us, we've been in a series called The Four G's, uh, Truths That Can Set You Free. And so I just kind of want to recap where we've been over the last few weeks together. So the first week, we learned that God is great, that God is great uh, so we don't have to be in control. The next week, our second G is God is glorious. God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. We don't have to try to win their approval. He is the glorious one. And then last week, we looked at God is good. He is good so we don't have to look Elsewhere, He is our source of satisfaction that can meet those deepest uh, needs for joy in our souls. And then this week, our last G together, we're looking at God is gracious. God is gracious, never forget it. That's really the main point that we're going to look at today. God is gracious, never forget it. But as we get going here this morning, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a song in your head? that you just couldn't get out. <laughs> that happened before. Sometimes that can be a really good thing. Other times, maybe, maybe not so good. Um, for example, this past week, uh, Pastor Johnny, he, uh, he wrote a new song. And you may have caught that at the end of that sermon trailer there, this new song he's probably going to unveil this next week. And, and I had that chorus in my head. I uh, couldn't get it out this, this past week as I was listening to it. So sometimes it can be a good thing. Other times, uh, maybe not so great, um, from time to time, a random 80s song just kind of comes into my head, and I can't get it out. Has that ever happened to some of you? Um, I, I heard someone say this past week that uh, they would refer to the 80s as the oldies, and I'm thinking, are you serious? No. It's not the oldies. I'm not that old. Anyhow, um, for, the re- for the past few weeks uh, throughout this series, we have been looking at some sacred songs together. And by way of reminder, the Psalms are all songs. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 103. It's, it's one of my absolute favorite Psalms in the Bible. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, turn to the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have one with you, the words will be up on the screen in back of me. So I'm going to read Psalm 103 from verses 1 to 14, and I just want you to listen, just to soak this in. Um, May it be like you're hearing one of your favorite songs and you want no interruptions, right? And so let's listen. Psalm 103, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103 is a beautiful psalm. And it's, it's worth remembering and playing in our minds all throughout the day. But I'm afraid that some of us have a different song, another song stuck in our heads that we can't seem to get out. And it's not an 80s song. It's not even a song of God's grace and love. It's a song of selfish, self-centered grumbling and anger, of self-pity and frustration. Some of us have this song on repeat all throughout the day, and we don't know how to get it out of our minds. The late David Paulison, counselor and author, was known to write what he called anti-psalms, lies that we believe that can kind of push out the, the truth of a psalm like this one. And so I decided to write my own version, my own version, the anti-version of Psalm 103, and, and see if you can identify with it. Sulk to the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me keep grumbling to the Lord. Sulk to the Lord, O my soul, and keep fretting over all your problems and irritations. You who dwells on your past sin, who wallows in your woundedness, who stays stuck in your self-pity, who keeps your head lowered in shame, who complains about how empty you feel, so that all your energy is gone and you feel down in the dumps like Eeyore the donkey. The Lord isn't working in my life, you say. He's withholding his goodness. He seems far off and disinterested in me. He doesn't care what I'm going through. The Lord is disappointed and frustrated, quick to get angry and stingy with mercy. He will keep holding grudges with a posture of anger. He will pay me back for all the wrongs I've done. For as low as the valleys can get, that's how low he must think of me. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he keep his distance from me. As a disappointed father frowns upon his whining children, so the Lord frowns upon me because I keep failing him, for he knows how sinful I am, and he keeps giving me the cold shoulder until I can get my act together. Can you identify with that? Is that the song you've, you've got replaying in your mind over and over and over again? If so, my big question for you today is this, how do we move from this self-centered sulking to God-centered gratitude? How, how do we move from this, this self-centered whining to God-centered worship? In other words, how do we get a different song in our heads and in our hearts that actually honors God and satisfies our soul? Well, here's the answer, and it's the main point that I want to draw out today. Never forget that God is gracious. Never forget that God is gracious. That's what Psalm 103 teaches us, so let's look again and listen again to what it has to say, beginning with verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, normally, we use the word bless to give someone 
something they need, right? I want to I bless you with this meal. I want to bless you by serving you. But if we try to do that to God, that dishonors Him. He doesn't need us to give us something that He somehow is deficient in. We don't bless Him in that way. Acts 17 says He's not served by human hands as though He needed anything. So how do we bless God? Well, we respond to his sufficiency and his excellency in ascribing worth to him. That's what worship is, ascribing worth to him. We worship him. So bless the Lord means we praise him, we worship him, and it says, with all that is within me. That's our soul, our emotions, our feelings, our our heart. Literally, with all my insides is what David is doing here. But here's the question, who's David even talking to? This is kind of weird, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. Seems kind of strange, right? Paul Tripp is, is fond of saying, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to yourself more than you do, right? You having a conversation with yourself all throughout the day or is it just me? And often when we talk to ourselves, it's pretty self-centered, right? Like we're spiritual toddlers, kind of angry, kind of crabby, kind of whiny. So how do we move from being like spiritual toddlers to spiritual grown-ups? How do we take little baby steps, if you will? Some of you have toddlers or you've been through this stage of parenting and you know that, that toddlers respond by impulse, right? Just by reflex, by reactions to their feelings, So they will whine when they don't get their way. So we have to train them and teach them, right? And the same is true for us. Man, as spiritual toddlers, we can throw a tantrum, a spiritual tantrum before God when we don't get our way. To be an adult spiritually, a mark of maturity, a sign of maturity, is that we're not so easily driven by our feelings. This begins with an awareness See, some of us, we're going throughout life, and it's like, this comes at us, this comes at us, and we're so driven by our emotions and our feelings that we never take stock of our situation and, and realize there's an inner war going on in our hearts to believe lies or to believe the truth about ourselves and about God. So awareness is where it starts. We can't just float along with our feelings. We've got to be aware that there's a battle waging in our souls. You know, maturity is seen not just in our actions, but in our reactions to things. I have to admit, I often have a low-grade anger and frustration in my life when things don't go my way. So the mark of maturity is we're not driven by our feelings. We're not letting our inner critic win. And, and some of you in this room, you're, you're wired more like an Eeyore Right? So part of your fallen personality is you're going to have to deal with self-pity entering into your mind when things don't go your way, complaining. Others of you on the other side of the spectrum, you would say, well, I'm more of a tigger, so I, everything's always great. Everything's always fun. Good for you if you are one, all right? But your tendency is to get angry when you feel like God is withholding good from you. Right? I want things to be fun. I don't want things to be hard. 
And so wherever you are on the spectrum, we've got to speak to our hearts, right? We've got to tell our soul what is true in those moments. We remind ourselves of who God is and what God has done for us. That's what David is doing here. Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So there it is. Never forget, never forget that God is gracious. And so David begins with reminding his soul that God is gracious in what he has done for him personally. Though his soul might be humming a different tune, dwelling on his past, soaking in the present, worrying about the future, he, he turns up the volume, so to speak, and plays a different song, the gospel song. And, and we must do the same to drown out the dismal kind of voices of our deceitful desires and the devil's lies. We must turn up the sweet tune of the gospel to rehearse the reasons why we can bless the Lord, right? To, re, to remember, to recall that he has been so gracious with us. To never forget that God is gracious. Look at verses 3 to 5. David says, Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So David gives us a list here of, of five gifts from God to never forget. Five benefits, five gifts from God to never forget. So that to, to help you to remember these five, in the pew rack in front of you, I've provided just a little note card. It's a white note card. If you see it there, if you want to take notes right now, feel free to do so and keep this with you. I got one right here. It is lists these gifts we're going to talk about along with a verse. And this might be a helpful thing for you on Monday. Pull this out of your pocket. Put it in your Bible. May this be a way to remember. Some of you, you're not driven to take notes. That's totally okay here. Let it just then wash over you today, all right? Let these truths just kind of wash over you as we move through them. So here's the first one, the first gift from God to never forget. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven, Christian. Verse 3 says, who forgives all your iniquities. So you don't need to dwell on your past, and the guilt of your past sin. You've been forgiven, if you're in Christ, of all your sins, all of them. Not the 5% of the sins you're aware of. The 95% you don't even see. You've been forgiven. I love what it says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is that? It's from the east is from the west. That's infinite, right? He's removed your sin. He swept it away. No memory of it anymore. I love what Corey Ten Boom once said. She said, God takes our sin, past, present, future, and dumps it into the sea. Puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Don't keep diving back into the sin that God has already removed. In other words, if God has removed it, it's time to move on from it. If God has removed it, it's time to move on from it. Now, if this seems rather trite to you, kind of ho-hum, like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before, God forgives me, you may have yet to come to grips with the magnitude of your sin, the depth of your depravity, stain of your soul, and perhaps you haven't yet understood the cost, the cost of forgiveness of how gracious God has been to you. 
I think of David. He's writing this psalm probably in his older years now. Some of you know and have traced the story of David. Think about his past. Murder. Adultery. Lies. Cover-up. And God sends Nathan the prophet to him to confront him in his sin, and he's broken. He's broken over it. Against you, Lord, only have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight. David here, in his older years, has a keener sense of his own sin and the preciousness of grace. Do you? New Testament, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Through Christ's death on the cross, he lavishes the riches of his grace upon you, forgiving you of all of your sin. That's It's not a little eyedropper. Here, I'll give you a little lavish, over-the-top, abundant. That's his grace. So number one, a gift from God to never forget. You've been forgiven. Number two, you've been healed. Verse three again, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Well, that's confusing because some of us here in this room, we have family members or friends and their disease hasn't been healed. So, so what does he mean, heals all your diseases? Well, sometimes um, God doesn't work on our own timetable and he has a different way of healing us. But I think he's also speaking not just physical healing here, but metaphorically. One day he will heal us completely in heaven. Revelation 21, verse 4, John says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can't wait for that day. Until that day, we don't have to wallow in our woundedness. Jesus can bring deep healing in our souls, not just our bodies, but in our souls. And we ought to pray for healing. God can do abundantly more than we ask or think. So that leads us to the third gift, to never forget. You've been forgiven. You've been healed. Number three, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. Look at verses three and four again. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Redeem means to buy us back from our slavery to sin with a price, the price of his son. Jesus came to rescue us, to pull us out of the pit. Now, there's a big pit, and there are smaller pits, all right? The big ultimate pit is the punishment we deserve for our sin. The pit of destruction in hell that only Jesus can rescue us from. Yes, there are smaller pits, like the pit of self-pity and regret and despair. Maybe your marriage, you feel like your marriage is in the pits, Jesus can rescue you from that as well. But what David has on his mind here is this big, ultimate pit of death, and he looks forward to the day when Jesus would rescue us from it. Brian Chapel, pastor, tells this story 
that happened in his hometown. He writes, Two brothers were playing on the sandbanks by the river. One ran after another up a large mound of sand. Unfortunately, the mound was not solid and their weight caused them to sink in quickly. When the boys did not return home for dinner, the family and neighbors organized a search. They found the younger brother unconscious, with his head and shoulders sticking out above the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he awakened, and the searchers asked, Where's your brother? The child replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. That's what Jesus has done for us. And we're not lovable little brothers in this room. Every one of us has sinned. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were rebels, running from him, he came after us. Our older brother, if you will, and we're standing on his shoulders alive because of his grace today. We've been redeemed And if he's rescued you from the bigger pit, he can rescue you from smaller pits as well. In Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Some of you are waiting, waiting on God. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So you've been forgiven, you've been healed, you've been redeemed. Number four, you've been crowned. You've been crowned. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I love this. You know, it would have been enough, right, to stir our souls to worship, these first three, but there's more. In Christ, you're no longer condemned, you're crowned. What a reversal, right, in what we deserve. I think of Mephibosheth. It's a hard name to say. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you remember the story. This little boy, five years old, tries to escape on foot. He falls. He's crippled. Grows up, he's a young man, hiding, basically, in obscurity. David calls for him, brings him into the king's court. And Mephibosheth, he's connected to Jonathan, and David had made a covenant with Jonathan. He remembered that covenant. And even though this young man is crippled, broken, forgotten, deserving of death, David invites him into his family, gives him a seat at the table, and crowns him with honor. Think of the song, Once an Enemy, Now Seated at Your Table. Jesus, we thank you. We are crowned. We're no longer condemned. Some of you are walking around, even physically you can see this. Your head is lowered. That's the posture. It's in shame. You can have your chin be lifted up with God today knowing that he's crowned you. You're no longer condemned for anything you've done. Christ has taken all of that for you. That's amazing. That's incredible to be crowned by our glorious King. So, forgiven, healed, redeemed, crowned. Number five, you've been satisfied. Satisfied. Number five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
Now, this is last week's message, so I'm not going to say a lot, not going to elaborate here. But, but sometimes I think we, we have this idea that God is some, somehow a killjoy. Like, if we really follow Jesus, I'm not sure if I'm going to be happy anymore. Your greatest joy can only be found in Jesus alone. He can truly satisfy your soul both now and into eternity. And notice the reason who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Reminds me of Isaiah 40, uh, 30 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Eagles are free with all this energy to fly. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Who doesn't want that, right, to be satisfied in God? And so as we step back from these five gifts from God to never forget, number one, we're forgiven. Number two, we're healed. Number three, we're redeemed. Four, we're crowned. And five, we're satisfied. Keep reminding yourselves daily of that reality. Never forget that God is gracious. Now, David, here's a turn here in the text. In verse six and verse seven, he moves away from what God has done for him personally to what God has done in redemptive history. He recalls Moses and the Exodus and how God worked powerfully to save his people and to show his covenant-keeping love. So look at verses 6 and 7 with me. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So this is, this is good for us as well. Sometimes we are just so prone to kind of wallow in our own circumstances, but we need to lift our eyes away from our own personal lives and circumstances and to fix our gaze on God's acts of deliverance for his people in the past. It reminds us, hey, you're not special. It's all been felt before. God has intervened in the lives of his people, and he will intervene in your life, in his timing, for his glory. And then we come to verse 8. And I want to land here. This is so huge for us. I think David latches onto this verse right here, and we need to do the same. This is like the, the key, the cornerstone of Psalm 103. It's such an important verse. It's, it's quoted a dozen times in the Old Testament by at least eight different people. They all went here to verse 8 for help, and so let's read it together. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So listen, God is gracious in what he does because this is who he is. And fundamentally, our problem, as we've seen in this series, is we keep forgetting who God is. The lies start to seep into our minds and our hearts when we forget that God is great. We forget that God is good. We forget that God is glorious. We forget that he's gracious. And it leads to a whole host of other sins. David now here is quoting from Exodus 34, 6, where God reveals himself to Moses. And notice what he says. He says, God is merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? Mercy is that we don't get what we deserve. You and I deserve anger and wrath from a holy God. Mercy says we don't get what we deserve. Look at verse 10. He does not deal with us 
according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Let me read that again. Listen to this truth. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Does that amaze you? He's not dealing with you according to your sins. He's dealing with you according to his grace and his mercy. We don't get what we deserve. God is merciful and he is gracious. Gracious means we get what we don't deserve. So if mercy is we don't get what we deserve, grace is we get what we don't deserve. Look at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens, the love and the grace of God reaches so high and so far, we can't even get our arms around it, so much he loves us. Notice he is slow to anger, aren't you glad? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verses 13 to 14, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows how weak and how frail we are. He knows we're like little toddlers that keep whining and getting angry and complaining. And he's so patient. This is a vivid description of his patience here on display. But notice verse 7 of Exodus 34. Yes, he is gracious, but notice what it says at the end. He will by no means clear the guilty. So, so let's don't presume upon God's grace. Some of us have heard this message since we were young kids. Let's just don't expect grace. That's incredible. What we deserve is something else. David is writing and saying there's coming a day where he's going to deal with sin and guilt. Because he's not only merciful and gracious, he is holy and just. We can't have one without the other. This is who our God is. This is his character on display. But I hope you can see this. All this is moving toward the cross. And we need the cross. This is where the character of God is displayed most clearly in his son, where mercy and grace meets holiness and justice, where Jesus took the just anger of God upon his own shoulders and then gave to us, clothed us in his white robe of righteousness and grace. Jesus did this for us at the cross. And when he said, it is finished, he really meant it. It's a done deal. So listen, if you're trusting in Jesus today, God is always gracious to you. Always. No matter what. Never forget this truth. It means that whatever's stuck in your head doesn't have the last word. That inner critic that won't let up doesn't have the last word. Your guilty past and the shame you carry doesn't have the last word. That, that song that's in your head, that song of self-grumbling and, 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 and anger over your circumstances, that doesn't have the last word. The cross has the last word. Christ has the last word. This is what propels our heart from sulking to soaring. This is what moves our heart away from whining to worship. 
And as you fix your eyes on the cross more and more and all of what Christ has done for you there, you can't keep it in. Your gratitude wells up in worship and you will say with David, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. But as I close, I need to say this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have these benefits. These gifts are not yours. You're not forgiven. You are not healed and redeemed and crowned and satisfied. And the song of selfish grumbling will stay stuck in your head. It will not go away. It won't. No matter how hard you try. No matter how many positive quotes you put on your Facebook page. No matter how many promises you make to yourself to be happier. No matter what you try to do, you can't change this. You cannot change your heart. So let me encourage you. Stop trying so hard. You can't do it. Cease striving, repent of your sin, and believe in Jesus Christ alone and rest in his grace for you. Jesus is the only one who can change your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's the only one who can make you a new person, and he's the only one who can give you a new song to sing, a song of praise to our God. And by the way, this song, we will never get tired of hearing it and singing it for all of eternity. Can't wait. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your compassion to us, your grace. It's too much for us even for me to verbalize in words. We thank you for it, and we pray that if we're sitting here today and we have yet to give our lives to Jesus, we would do that right now. We would recognize I am a sinner and I have tried to do whatever I can to make my life happier. It's not working. And that we would just lay it all down and rest in the work that you've done for us at the cross. Imagine that. It's all been taken care of. I've died for you. I've lived the perfect life for you. I've risen again. And I'm alive and I'm offering you forgiveness, a new start. Just come to me as you are today and trust and rely upon me. Father, if we are Christians today, I pray that we would soak in these realities. We would remember and never forget that you are gracious to us because of Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.